0: Like, just in your mind, bounce back to every person that just spoke. Um, and I, I think it was it was Quint that mentioned it. Um, how, like, last week, I think he said something to the effect of he was different than he is now. Um, how many of you feel that way sometimes, like, when you come in here, you're like, okay, last week felt like years ago because of what the Lord has done um, since. Or sometimes it feels the other way around. You're like, oh, I am not as... A, passionate or excited or in the game as I was last week. And sometimes you have these ups and downs, but I just love the fact that the center, all of testifying to the risen King is the struggle that you face, whether it's through sickness or your child or your own thing you're dealing with or circumstances that are completely out of your own, all the circumstances are out of our own control. Um, He works. He's good. He's alive. He's present with you. Um, so good, right? I love that. I love that. To testify to the risen Christ. Today, the vintage church in Acts chapter 4, I'd like you to actually go there. Um, they're no different. They're no different. They are testifying to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ all day long. It's like they don't know what else to do. That's all they do. Like, they have to testify. They have to speak of what they have heard and seen and now experienced and now what is flowing through them. And that is the true Christian life. It's about speaking and living and experiencing what God has done. You can look back and celebrate what He did yesterday, but By His grace and by His glory, He wants to do amazing things today. And by His grace and by His glory, He wants to do amazing things tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And I want to just, before we dive into this amazing uh, and lengthy uh, story and passage, um, you're here today and you're at different spots. And maybe you've been really built up and encouraged by some of these testimonies. Maybe you're at a spot we are just hurting. You come in and you were hesitant to maybe even come because the pain is so real and present. You're in a great place today. Because you're actually, and I wish I could remember exactly what Quint said, but again, in regards to one of the songs that we were singing, like this is, he's going to heal you. He's going to touch you. He's going to restore, I think was the actual word that we sang, We sang, was that He's going to restore those things. Um, he wants to address that pain. And maybe you are here today and even hearing like other testimonies about um, uh, things working out in their lives. Maybe for you, you're at a spot where you're like, it's, it, it didn't work out. My baby didn't leave the hospital. My kid hasn't performed a 180 through the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're at a spot where you you're, you're maybe feel stuck and hurt and condemned even of your own self and your own decisions and your own things that you've done. You're in this spot, and you're looking, not in, in envy, but you're looking at these testimonies of the risen Jesus, and you're thinking, I want, God, I want you to do the same thing to me today, right here, right now. And I want to challenge you that He can and that He will Will you allow him? And would you see past the pain? Would you see, would you just lay that down at his feet? And would you begin to see what he's doing in your life, what he's doing in your your family's life, as a as a knock at the door, as a platform to him for him to perform his goodness, as a platform for him to show you his grace, and that he is not left you. He didn't abandon you. No matter what it seems all around. Peter and John in chapter 4 are brought to a a spot of true adversity. Man, did you guys think I was really thirsty or what? That's a lot of... We have to do an intermission here. (laughs) Um, thank you, though. Okay, let me get there. If you're at Acts 4. Um, we are marching through a series called The Vintage Church. And uh, this is a study not just through the book of Acts, but through missionary journey to a lot of the, the books of the New Testament and the New Testament church. What did that look like? What? How did it begin? And that's where we've been the last several, several weeks this year, just exploring about like what God had done, what Jesus had left them with, and how Jesus didn't really leave them. He sent His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He sent Him down to them to uh, fill them and to use them and to uh, for them to be witnesses of of that amazing gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. Um, as you know and I know, that a lot of times when uh, when God begins to move, when God begins to work in our lives, um, opposition comes. You ever feel that way? Like even some of you are shaking the head know I was talking about Quint, feeling like he was different last week than he was this week or whatever, and we can all identify with that. You find that when you come and you surrender your heart or your life or your your, your wallet or your whatever it is, the parts of our lives that that's still God's showing us, like, okay, you thought you were maybe fully surrendered, but here's an area where you're not maybe fully surrendered or fully given or fully trusting and fully leaning on me. Here's the area, and you give it to him, and you're excited, and there's this, like, Yes! It's all to Jesus, I surrender, I, it's all yours. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, everything is seemingly, seemingly to be falling apart at this point. It's, it's, it's similar for these guys. All that they've seen, all that God's done, and here they are. Verse 1, chapter 4, And as they were speaking to the people, they were testifying, they were testifying of not just God's goodness in their life over their families. They were testifying of the resurrection forgiving power of God on their life. Sins forgiven, power flowing through them, lives being saved, lives being changed, unity happening. Um, unity happens. And, and in that context and in that church, it said uh, later on it says how there was no needy person. This is where we were last week. That the church was at such a, a, um, a unified front where it didn't feel that there was any needy person among them. And this is not a small church on the corner. At that point, that one day, 3,000 came to be saved. And in this chapter, it talks about 5,000 men. So if there's 5,000 men, now what does that really mean? I mean, if they had maybe a wife and one child, it's 15,000. If, they if they're like conduit and they have... 47 children each, then it's a big church, suddenly, all right? So they were speaking to the people and testifying, and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, and they were greatly annoyed. The church leaders, the temple leaders of the Jewish faith were annoyed what God was doing <laughs> through these disciples, through these apostles, and they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It says that they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. It was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of them came to about 5,000. So, what we've been trying to do is study the, study the ethos of the vintage church. And so, last week we defined ethos as the characteristic spirit of the culture of that church. What was that church like? Well, you know, and I know that the church is made up of people. Um, and those people were led by leaders. And so, today, kind of our shift is, is, what, is what was the ethos of those men? What was the ethos of Peter and John and James and the rest of the apostles? What was the characteristic spirit that they had that no one could take? What was the characteristic spirit of their culture, of their their character that even imprisonment, embarrassment, death threats could not take. It was their resolve to stand firm and to testify of the risen king. No different for you. No different for them. Your resolve to where you stand as a mom, to where you stand as a dad, where you stand as a worker, as you stand as a servant, as you stand as a friend, as you stand as a son or a daughter or a cousin or whatever relationship or whatever thing you're in. You stand in that same thing that cannot be taken away. And that was their faith in Jesus Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so that is the ethos of this early church leadership. These men, (laughs) literally, I I know that there's this hesitation, uh, or not hesitation, there's this practice of when we study the early church, or even you see churches now, and, and these guys are now, um, have been penned, uh, so to speak, saints. Peter, what a guy. John, what a guy. I mean, Jesus loved them, Like, what a guy. This is These guys are amazing. But we don't realize that the true ethos of their life wasn't so, wow, these guys are amazing. These, this was... We, we we talked about this a little bit the first week that the, these guys were kind of like the B team. This was the junior varsity team, um, or a conversation like I had this week, it just in. <laughs> it made me think of almost. It made me think of myself like, just they were describing this league, this this certain basketball league, and they used the word, and it wasn't. It's not. It's a basketball league not through the school, and it's a, it's. <laughs> The word they used was, it's for the non-varsity kids. <laughs> I'm like, I am a non-varsity kid all day long. And these guys, they were non-varsity all day long. Can you identify with that? Now, why were they non-varsity? Why were they JV? Why were they the B team? Essentially, in their culture, they had a trade. They had picked up a trade. They had, they were A lot of them were fishermen. They were out making a living. And the age that they were at was closer to the end of their teens or early 20s. So they were at the spot where in their early teens, around 13, 14, 15, is when they would have gotten chosen or picked up or chosen to pursue heavily to follow a rabbi, a teacher of the law, a teacher of, of this front section of the Old Testament. And what it would be is that it was basically like that That was their schooling. That was their someday I'm going to go to college. That was their that was their thing that they as, had aspired to. To not just be a scholar in their mind, but to be a teacher of the law, the teacher of the way that, that, that the Jewish culture had lived and, and studied and had in that the basis of it all was their faith in the God of the Bible. And so for them, like, and they knew that that not everybody was chosen by a rabbi, and that's just how it worked. Like when you didn't make uh, the cut, so to speak, and you were chosen by these rabbis, these teachers, these 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 leaders of that faith to to follow them and to be trained to teach uh, someday in the temple, if you didn't make that cut, then you eventually had to go and find a way to provide for your family. And that's exactly what every single one of these guys did. Jesus found them. Jesus didn't roll into to earth and rolled out the carpet and you, you know the story he was born in a manger born to mary and joseph in humble beginnings that he knew his security his identity was that he was the king of kings the lord of lords he knew he was god's son and that's where his identity was and he wasn't looking for everyone to bow down to him as if he was an earthly king that wasn't his goal and so that played specifically in a political realm so that played into how he lived his life. That played into who he chose to change the world when he left. Think about that. Did Jesus come for just the kings? Did Jesus come for just the really smart varsity people? No. Did he come just for the non-varsity guys? Did he come just for the JV guys? No, he came for everyone. And so his message was, just to those guys, it's to everybody. And so when he chose these guys, um, let's go, let me just skip down and I'm going to come back, but skip down to verse uh, 13. Um, halfway through it says, when they saw the, or the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were, <laughs> they were uneducated common men. They were uneducated come and went, men. So they, they, this, was, this was true. This wasn't like they were astonishing people through their talents, astonishing people through their knowledge, through their training. They have all these degrees on the wall and these numbers behind or in front of their name. They were known as Peter, John, and that was good enough for them. Because when they, when, they, when they came to a spot where they were known as Peter and John, then they, people saw them as Peter and John. People saw them as God is speaking through this man. God is using this man. That's the ethos, that's the humility by which that leader took. Okay, back up. To verse 5, it says, On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, and Caiphas and John and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. This is where it starts to get a little tense. So they had imprisoned these guys, and then they brought them out in front of all these church leaders. And they asked him this question: By what power, or by what name, did you do this? I I must imagine, uh, like this this weasel of a church leader guy, like behind this big like desk, like by what power and by what name? Like I just imagine this, like, (laughs) because you know it wasn't this guy that was like of. Move on, move on. Please. I just imagine this weasel of a guy, like, like lobs the ball to Peter. Like, Peter's to, like, he's ready. He's like, it's like the bottom of the Ninth World Series game. Show. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop this mic, and it's about to get crazy. He's like, by what power, by what means do you have to do this? And so what is this? What, is, what specifically is he talking about? Some of you have been following along last week. You're like, wait, we're in chapter 1 for a while. We're in chapter 2. What happened to chapter 3? We skipped chapter 3. What is the this? Chapter 3, something happens that, um, like, I should never forget. I took a class in Bible college called Acts. And my teacher, what, and I shouldn't compare the two, but he was this little guy. And, and he, he didn't talk like that, and, and, and he, he was amazing. But he, he had this funny thing. He would say in his, like, fast-talking micro, micro-machines? He talked like that, like, roll real, real fast. And he would say how the, there was the healing of the lame man at the gate beautiful. So in chapter 3, there's a man who's lame, who can't walk, and he sat in front of a gate, a, gate, a little big, iron gate that was called beautiful and it was in front of the temple just in our practical sense and he was sitting there every day with a cup and he was asking for people as they went by he was asking for their spare change so to speak and what happens in chapter three is that these disciples Peter and John and James and the rest of them, they're walking into the temple and they see this guy that they always see and this guy is described later as being older than 40 years old so they've seen this guy He's the like it's it's a part of the, the it's a part of the, the the setup of the whole picture that I'm trying to create for you. And they walk by him, and he asks them for alms. He asks them for um, for money. He asks them for help. And they kind of skip over the question. They say, "Well, I have something. Essentially, I have something better." In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this man who had been lame his whole life got up, and he didn't just walk. It says that he jumped, and he praised God, and he ran in the temple, and he ran out of the temple. He's like, are you kidding me? I can walk, I can jump, I can spin, I can skip. Did you guys see that? That's crazy. It was this exciting moment. God did that through these men. (laughs) But the church didn't like it. Surprise, surprise, right? And so the church decided to call a meeting. You ever been to one of those? <laughs> okay, maybe just me. So they try to call a meeting. They try to call a meeting to see if, if like, like, can they do that? <laughs> and so they call this meeting, and they bring these guys out, and they're asking, by what power do you have, or by what name do you have to do this? And this is their response. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, "Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to this crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you guys crucified. Let's not forget that. I know I've said it twice." to you guys, but I'm saying it again, who you guys crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. By him he is healed. By our God, he's the one that did this. He used us, I said the words, but it was his power through me and in his own and that's who did that. And the same God that raised this Jesus that you killed rose Him from the dead too. There's this amazing exchange that happens where Peter steps in in boldness and he declares it. He didn't write it in a letter. He didn't say it passively. I bet he looked that weasel of a little man in the face and he proclaimed to him the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is a representation of all the Goliaths and all the enemies that we face. And yes, he may be a church leader and hopefully he heard and he was eventually changed by this power too. But at the same time, Peter stood firm and he went on. He said, this Jesus, the stone that you guys rejected, you're the builders and you rejected him. But this Jesus has become the cornerstone. He's become the very thing that holds this whole deal together. And this world will be changed because he told us that we were going to be his witnesses in this city starting here, and then this county, and then this state, and then the rest of the world. So you better buckle up, guys, because it's about to change everything. And this thing that we're building, Jesus was the cornerstone. He didn't stop there. I think it was probably one of those, like, hey, Peter, I just asked you a simple question (laughs) moments, and he didn't. He says something next that is life, world, eternal, changing, and this is where you need to hear this. And this is the message that has changed the world, and this is why Jesus came, and this is why we preach Jesus and Jesus alone. Verse 12. And there is salvation. And there is salvation. And there is forgiveness. And there is redemption. And there is hope. And there is cleansing from all our sin. Cleansing from all our unrighteousness. There is salvation in no other name. No one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you hear that? He is the way, the truth, the life. He said it. We read it. We believe it. Peter proclaimed it again. There's no other name given among, under heaven, given among men, which we can be saved. He stood firm in that moment. And since the Garden of Eden, when it was proclaimed that someday I will send a Messiah that will come and save and will fix this whole thing. But until he comes, you trust that he is coming. And the Jewish faith is that alone. It is that looking over the hill for the Messiah. Is he coming? Is he come yet? What does the Old Testament say he is? Like, and they're still, to this day, still looking. Jesus came. And in that moment, Peter says, he came. You killed him. (laughs) Jewish leaders, you guys killed him. And he rose from the dead. And, and now that he's gone, and he sent his Holy Spirit, he's using us to spread this good news. And I want to tell you, there is no one else coming. The rescue has come. Like, he's not sending Messiah number two. He sent Jesus. We are, we are A.D. Jewish leaders, we are A.D. We are after the death. There was a res- resurrection. It should have been A.R. After resurrection, the Messiah came. He is the only way. No other rescue is coming. No other rescue is needed. He's coming and there's no other name given to us that we can be saved except through the name of Jesus Christ. And you're here today. And you're, probably most of you are, you're, you're a Christian. And so like you hold to that. You're like, yeah, I got that. Like you can move on. No, you need to hear that. There's no other name by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. You see, like, that's why there's a cross here. And that's why it's empty, or why it's vacant. Is that the right word? It's been vacated. Because He's not there. His death, His resurrection, represents to us an opportunity But by faith and trust in Him. And our lives being radically, radically changed. We pass from death to death to life in the name of Jesus. And we are forever changed. Not just in this life, but forever. And this affects every circumstance that we face. This affects every perspective that we believe about ourselves. This affects how we even see these leaders and how they've proclaimed this in that moment. What was the ethos of who they were? What was the ethos, what was the culture, the characteristic by which he stood in that moment? By which he spoke? Those weasels of leaders on the council they saw it what was their response? it says in verse 13 now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John when they saw the boldness of Peter and John they perceived that they were uneducated and common men they were astonished was the word that they used at the beginning of the chapter they were annoyed they were annoyed and now they're astonished maybe not fully convinced yet but they went from annoyed to astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus but seeing the man who was healed standing beside himself they had nothing to say in opposition. At the end of the day, they may not like Peter or his beard, but they can't, I'm just kidding, but they can't deny the guy that had been sitting there begging because he had no other thing, no other way to, 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 to take, like he couldn't walk. He's not a, New guy to the city, he's not a young guy, he's over 40 years old, and now he's by they couldn't deny it. And they proclaimed that themselves, that they couldn't and they had nothing to say in opposition. It shut them up. But when they had commanded them to lead, commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? <laughs> For what a notable sign has been performed through this, and is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. In order that and it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in this name. And so they called them out again, and they charged them. They said, Peter and John and all the rest of you guys, do not speak or teach at any, anymore at the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered them. They weren't even supposed to say anything, I bet. But Peter and John answered them. He says, whether, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you guys or rather to God, you must judge. But for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they heard further threatening from them, they let them go. Finding no way to punish them because the people for all, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years. And then it goes on in verse 25 or 23 and on to talk about the believers and how they prayed for boldness. And I want to end with with that part. But before we do that, I want you to understand that this was a significant moment. This was a a put a stake in the ground for our faith. up, put a stake in the ground for our walk with Christ. This was a put a stake in the ground for the boldness that we need. This was a put a stake in the ground for who I am in God. Everything that Peter did is what he's challenging us and what I guess I'm challenging you in this day in 2017 in Jamestown, New York to do the same. He stood firm and he proclaimed the testimony of is in Christ, and some of you did that at the beginning of the service. Some of you stood and you said, "I, I, I can't." But like some of your hands were raised up. Some of you were mad at me because we didn't go on further. But I needed to get to this point so that you understood that that's what it's about. That it's, it is living it. It is good or deeds. It is loving and being on mission in your home, your church community. But in this moment, there are those moments just like it was for Peter to proclaim and to testify of his goodness. To testify of who he really is. Because there's lots of words about what People think God is. And it's up to us to stand firm and remind them of the truth. Because we have to speak about what we've seen and what we've heard and what we know to be true. I love the perspective of where the worship team went in regards to coming home. Coming home is the point. Coming home is what he's ultimately calling us to. But in order for us to be called home, Peter had to stand firm, and he had to proclaim and stick stick up just like David stuck up to Goliath. That was his David moment. Obviously, those leaders had the power to arrest them, had the power to crucify them, and they stood firm, and they suffered well. I'll write this down if you're taking notes. First Peter chapter two and verse 19 through 23. talks about suffering for good, being commendable <laughs> by God. It walks through step by step of what Jesus did. It walks through what He did and how he stood firm. And how the odds were stacked against him. But yet he stood firm. It wasn't about being fair. It didn't matter about being fair. He knew what was truth. He knew what was right. And he had to speak. He had to testify to the risen king. Now, the next part, the believers prayed for boldness. Boldness for what? This, their prayer went a little bit like this. Verse 24. And when they heard what had happened, they lifted. This is, this is the church. It says that they lifted their voices. And together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And on and on and on. The, eventually their prayer was this. 28 to do whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and perform through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place which they had gathered began to shake. Literally an earthquake! happened when they prayed. When they came together and they prayed for boldness, they knew that tomorrow and every day after would be different. And, the Holy, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. This is where you come in. Who were they praying for? They were praying for a guy named Peter. They were praying that Peter would have boldness. To speak and testify of Jesus. Like a month and a half, two months before that, the night before Jesus is crucified, they said, Hey, you're Peter, right? You're you're the guy that's one of the disciples of Jesus. And what did Peter say? Three times he's like, I don't know Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> that was like, a, that was horrible, right? It was like one of those, oh, are you serious, bro? Like, that's the worst thing ever. But that was a life changer for him. That was his stake in the ground that never again will I live that way. And so for you, maybe you're at that spot. And you need to say today, never again will I live that way never again i will repent i will run and i will do what's right and peter made it right with jesus and jesus actually probably made more of the effort and made it right and went to him and peter humbly was put in the spot of like dude i know you just totally dropped the ball and you struck out the bottom of the night like i'm putting you there like you're the guy and you're actually going to do the opposite of what you did you're going to preach me and i know you just told all these guys you don't know me but now you're going to stand and say not only do you know me but that I rose from the dead. They used the guy that was like the worst hitter on the team, the B team, to knock it out of the park when it counted. It's no different for you. God wants to take the very thing that you know that you have been devastated by, the choices that you've made or the things that you've done, and he wants to do this thing called redeem. He wants to take that very thing and for you to be a voice about it. Not a pious voice, but a bold and humble voice. Now, they prayed for Peter to be bold. But this is the thing that blew my mind. Sorry, guys. This is the thing that blew my mind. Who prayed that prayer? The the early church. It wasn't like five... uh, senior citizens in the basement of the church praying this this was the the unified body thousands thousands of people to the point that their prayer made the earth shake who were these people two months ago when Peter was denying they were the same people that were yelling crucify him crucify him they were those same people are you serious? And then like a week before that, sorry, I get excited about this, like they they were shouting Hosanna. Here comes Jesus. They're putting down palm branches. There's like, here comes our king. And they're so fickle. Like not even a week later, that Friday, they're yelling crucify. That Thursday, they're yelling crucify Jesus. Let's kill this guy. Those same people are now praying to the one by which they yelled crucify, that they put... Are you following me? like these same people that crucified Jesus are now asking for Jesus' help to speak who Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus has done. and not just Peter and not just that church, but in you conduit.
1: is he's brought you to the spot is that
0: you walk in so rejected and so down and so lost and you're thinking about what other people are saying. You're, you're thinking, you're, you're worried about what other people are thinking. Um, and I feel like it's when we start that the moment that we start thinking about what other people think is the very moment that we're useless to God stop but with boldness and love and humility step up conduit to what he's asked you to do in your life in your own heart in your own family church and in this community and the same people, conduit the same people, you guys came in today opposition stacked against you self-condemnation and he wants the devil, he wants to remind you about dude, do you know what you did two months ago? do you know what they did? And there's this finger pointing, like there's, this, there's all these things that the enemy brings into the place. And what Jesus wants to bring into this place, the Holy Spirit wants to bring into this place, is freedom from all of that. Because he's redeemed you. He, the payment for your sin is done. So, by faith, we've died to ourselves. We're alive in Christ. Let's pray for boldness. Let's pray that no, our boldness may not be Sharia law, or boldness may not be uh, a, a gun to our head this week, or proclaim, or for like stop being a Christian, or I'm going to kill you. It wasn't like Peter. It wasn't like the rest of these guys that were actually killed for our faith. But you know what? I don't want to take that away and be like, you, you guys don't, you don't know what it's like to be to to suffer because you do. You do. Maybe not in the same way. Maybe for some of us, suffering means that all deck is stacked against us. Maybe the opposition is all around us. Maybe we stand before in our life these people that that look at us and say, you know what, Like, who's this guy? I know what he did. Do you know what he did two months ago? Blah, 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 blah. We get consumed with that. May we step out of that. And may we step into who God has made us to be. Maybe that's suffering well for you as being a wife of a husband that is very kind. Horrible, actually. And you suffering well, maybe being Jesus Christ to him. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a fi- I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something in your life that you're literally, you're hurting, you're suffering through that. Do what Jesus did. Step into that and give him glory and honor him, not that person. But honor that person by honoring him. And what will fill you is joy. When Jesus t- challenged us to love our enemies, <laughs> you want to talk about radical encounter. When we just start doing what Jesus asks us to do, things change. It's a church unified in prayer be unified with the boldness to overcome not just what's stacked against you but who they say you are and remind yourself of who god says you are by your faith you're forgiven you're free